It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Down to business. When he drinks, he thinks. That's the nectar of the gods, baby. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the number one liquid-fueled, liquid-lubricated show on the interwebs. This is the Whiskey Musings broadcast, and I am your constitutionally protected host, Rick. I think I've used that one before, but, you know, it is so apropos, so apropos. Um, So tonight, tonight I want to talk a little bit about the... uh, something that's been tossed about over many, many years in terms of amending the Constitution. And amending the Constitution usually takes the form of the Congress suggesting an amendment, and then it goes to the states, and the states get ratified. Well, uh, the states ratify the amendment, I should say. Well, the, the thing about it is, is that there is a second part to that. There is a second path to go toward um, getting an amendment added to the Constitution. And historically, it's, it's not been used under the current uh, Constitution. In fact, all of the existing 27 amendments have all been done by congressional action. And so the, the Convention of States, as it's colloquially known has never really been um, put out there. However, there is a growing movement of people in this country who have pushed the idea of the Convention of States because they view it as a, a path to be able to correct what is going on in our government today. Government overreach, uh, government spending out of control, and, uh, you know, term limits and just any number of factors and uh, situations with within the the government system that, you know, Congress can't be cannot be um, expected, nor can Congress be anticipated uh, to take care of these situations, term limits, things of that nature. And so, you know, our Constitution and our, our founding fathers, when they developed the Constitution, um, they, they found a way, essentially, to uh, provide an alternative method of ratifying amendments to the Constitution. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, but before I do that, of course, it is apropos of me to go ahead And first of all, welcome anyone who has not seen the street live stream before. If you have, please, if you are a part of Rumble or YouTube, which I'm watching, if you're watching on either one of those platforms, let me know what's going on in the chat. Say hello to those who are there. Um, Let's not sit and lurk. And I do understand that I am up against two greats in the conservative movement, one of them being that President Trump out at CPAC. I believe he's finishing up his speech um, right now. And the other one, obviously, is Dan Bongino and his unfiltered um, show that he puts on Fox. Um, You know, honestly, I didn't I didn't necessarily pick this time slot. In fact, after I picked this time slot, Dan Bongino got moved 
uh, to his new time slot, which so now I've, I'm being encouraged to move again to another time slot. But um, uh, honestly, I, I I'm just I'm not entirely sure about that. I'm just now getting enough of a following from you, my subscribers and watchers. Uh, to be able to anticipate when I am being here. So to be honest, I'm not even too sure if I'm actually going to move or not. Um, I do appreciate you taking your time out of your day, uh, out of your week, to come here and um, enjoy the program. Hopefully, the content that I'm providing you is is uh, definitely helpful, educational, and um, entertaining in the process. So let me move on to my um, to my affiliate program. And let's go ahead. I'm checking a bunch of different things here because, of course, being a one-man show, that's the way it works. Uh, So let's talk about the Institute on the Constitution. Uh, The Institute on the Constitution was established in 2004 as a 501c3 nonprofit with one mission, to restore the Constitutional Republic through grassroots education. All courses and materials are developed using primary source documents and are taught from the American view of law and government, as defined in the Declaration of Independence in the following three key points. Key number one, there is a God. Key number two, our rights come from him. And key number three is the purpose of civil government is to secure and protect those God-given rights. The IOTC offers the opportunity to educate yourself on our most precious founding document, the Constitution of the United States. They also provide tools to educate your community and get involved with local government. Start by taking their free U.S. Constitution course and go from there. Use my affiliate link, theamericanview.com forward slash hashtag whiskey musings to sign up. And while you are there, take a moment to look through their other course material and information. My affiliate link, once again, is theamericanview, all one word, all lowercase, dot com, forward slash, hashtag, or pound sign, Whiskey Musings, to get great content to learn about our historical founding and support the show in the process. That's theamericanview.com, forward slash, hashtag, Whiskey Musings. Go and check them out today. And I thank the Institute on the Constitution for allowing me to be an affiliate with them. Okay. And our next thing. Oh, am I shaking? I'm sorry. I just checked. Uh, buddy, am I shaking all over the place or something? Anyway, I'll let him respond to that because obviously there's a bit of a delay. I probably hit something like it hit the desk or something and it made the, made the camera shake, unfortunately. Anyway. All right. So let's, um, let's move on to... And I got to remember which one this is. I think it's this guy here. On this day in American history, it might be spectacles out here. All right. So today's date is February 26th. We are going to be discussing Buffalo Bill today. The name William Frederick Cody, born on this day, In 1846, in Scott County, Iowa, may not ring a bell, but chances are you know Cody's nickname. Oh, don't move my start time. Okay, buddy, I won't. All right, uh, let me continue. Um, But chances are you know Cody's nickname, Buffalo Bill. Cody left home at the age of 11 after his father died and cut a fearless path across the western frontier. Cowboy, teamster, fur trapper, gold miner, pony express rider, civil war soldier, cavalry scout, Indian fighter, he did it all. He earned his nickname while hunting buffalo to supply meat for railroad work crews, reportedly killing more than 4,000 buffalo in 18 months. A few years later, he served as a scout for army troops fighting Indians. The government awarded him the Congressional Medal of Honor for valor in that action. In 1872, Cody decided to take advantage of his growing fame and began a long career as a showman. His Buffalo Bills Wild West Spectacular toured the country with hundreds of cowboys, cowgirls, and Indians, including Sure Shot Annie Oakley and Sitting Bull, as well as live buffalo and cattle. The show's mock shootouts and roundups thrilled audiences. 
Cody even toured Europe and performed for the Queen of England. Buffalo Bill has come, we have seen, and he has conquered, a British newspaper reported. By the turn of the 20th century, Cody was perhaps the most famous American of his day. Buffalo Bill was, in some ways, a man of contradictions. He was an Indian fighter, but also pushed for Indian rights. He hunted buffalo, but later supported their conservation. He loved the frontier, but in promoting it, helped it to disappear. The West of the old times, with its strong characters, its stern battles, and its tremendous stretches of loneliness, can never be blotted from my mind, he wrote, nor can it, I hope, be blotted from the memory of the American people. And that is today's On This Day in American History. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, you talk about Buffalo Bill Cody and, and his conversation, you know, trying to con, uh, conserve the buffalo and, and that last quote where he was talking about, uh, you know, remembering it of a different time. Let me tell you a real quick story. This is going to be, um, honestly, this is a, uh, let's see. This is one of these moments. I'm going to take a shot. It's it's one of these moments. Uh, whoops. Ah. And yes, that's because I keep forgetting. I set that on a timer to go away. Anyway, um, so this is a train moment. And uh, it basically... <laughs> Uh, derailment, train derailment. And basically what it is, is I was um, t spending some time down in Oregon for one of my, one of my jobs outside of this, obviously long before this even came about. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to go and see the wild horses. And the funny thing was the client that I was visiting, um, they, they, I asked them, I said, Hey, you know, I understand there's some wild horses around here. And they were like, Oh yeah, yeah, there's wild horses around here. Here, you can go to this spot. And then, of course, they followed on with the question of, but why would you? And I said, well, why not? I mean, wild horses is, is kind of cool. You know, I want to go see the wild horses. It's an icon of, uh, of American culture, American history, the Mustangs and, and all of that. Uh, uh, maybe an American Western romanticism. But the funny thing about it was the, the guy told me, he's like, do you, do you, have you seen a horse before? And I said, well, yes, I have. I, have, I own them. And he goes, well, they're probably not going to look much different than that. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, we did go. We did go to try and find them. Unfortunately, they were not at the location that uh, was given to us, and we didn't have enough time. It got dark, whatever. But we did see some very, 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 very pretty country out in the painted hills of Oregon. Um, it's a spectacular place if you ever get the chance to go there. It is, it is awesome um, for someone to, to go out and, and, and check out the Painted Hills. It's just, just absolutely beautiful. We have a lot of beautiful places in this country that we do, you know, places that I've, I haven't even been. I mean, I haven't been to, uh, you know, the Dakotas to go see Mount Rushmore, which would be an absolutely epic trip. Um, you know, Yellowstone Park and all of that. I mean... I've driven across this great country, but I haven't seen some some areas, and maybe I'll do that before uh, before I die uh, and get get passed passed along. Anyway, so in speaking about our great country, let's talk about the Convention of States, and this was actually a topic suggested by my one of my faithful followers, Buddy, uh, and the Convention of States has been shown. Um, Convention of States has been shown uh, or, or purported to be the way out from some of these things like, uh, you know, congressional overreach and federal government expansion beyond what it really means in the Constitution. And I'll admit there are a lot of things that are going on that, that, the, Const or that the Congress has um, – instituted laws on which should have been struck down by the Supreme Court mainly because of the Tenth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment for those that don't that don't know uh, you should look it up but the Tenth Amendment basically states that anything that is not specifically outlined in the Constitution nor is specifically outlawed for the states to do remains as a part of the states and ultimately in the hands of the people 
So basically what the 10th Amendment states is that if there's nothing written in the Constitution, there's nothing specific there, then you guys can't do anything with it. I mean, Congress can't do anything about it. And, you know, there's a lot of people who say, who basically state that the 10th Amendment probably should be the one um, to, should probably be the one to, um, uh, to rein in a lot of government overreach. But there's another part of the Constitution that is that is taken up, it has been taken up by a lot of conservative groups here recently, and the push is to um, set this up because they believe that this might be an out, especially when it comes to certain things that Congress literally will not take action on. For an example, Congress more than likely is not going to put term limits upon themselves. I mean, realistically, does it make sense for somebody to go and say, you know what, um, I, I'm going to automatically put a, a limit on how many times I can get reelected? Because they've, they've got cushy jobs, and it's pretty much been shown in multiple cases that um, some of these Congress people from the House of Representatives or Senators, they're making a crap ton of money on essentially what would be a salary of somewhere around $175,000 a year. I believe starting salary is like one seventy-four, which I think is what AOC is on. Um, and and anyway, the, the, the point being is that, you know, the conversation has been around how do we stop this? We can't just be able to stop this only because of the fact that we, uh, you know, to vote people out or vote, um, vote new people in. There has to be another way. And fortunately, our forefathers um, created such a path and um, it's created such a path for us. And it's in Article 5 of the Constitution. So let me bring that up and we'll bring it up and I'll, I'll, let's just go ahead and, and read this. All right. So article five, honestly, talks about, um, how to amend the constitution. And by amend, that basically means add something to it, uh, or change it in some way. And article five states the Congress, whether two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which, in either case, shall be valid to all intents and purposes, as part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures, of three-fourths of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. Provided that no amendment that uh, which may be made prior to the year 1808 shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses of the ninth section of this first of the first article, and that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. Now, this is actually one of the smaller of the parts of the Constitution. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty long run-on sentence with a, with a bunch of commas in it, and we've got a semicolon in it. And a lot of, a lot of people are looking at, at this and going, oh my gosh, it's just like, it's incredible. But it's basically what it is, is it, it essentially calls out the first part of it anyway, um, prior to the semicolon. It pretty much calls out um, two specific ways to ratify and amend the Constitution of the United States. So let's take this slowly and in parts. So the first part talks about the Congress. So whenever two thirds, two thirds of both houses decide that an amendment needs to be um, added to the Constitution, okay? That's the first way. So two-thirds of both houses 
they decide that it's necessary. They propose the amendments to the Constitution. Okay, that's their job. That's what they do in order to amend the Constitution. Now, our current Constitution has 27 amendments. All 27 of them have come from this particular path throughout history. Okay, now, the second part is this. Or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states. So, amendments can be proposed to the Constitution by Congress with two-thirds of both houses deciding that it's necessary, or upon application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the states. Now, notice that they didn't put any kind of numbers in here other than the two-thirds and two-thirds part. So, basically, what that means is that as, as this country grew and we made it to 50 states, in this particular case, if 34 of the current existing states uh, apply to the legislature, so in other words, apply to Congress that they want to propose amendments to the Constitution. Then, and here's the key part, Congress shall call a convention for proposing the amendments, which in either case, meaning either when two-thirds of both houses deem it necessary or the convention of, of um, propose, for proposing amendments gets called, they sh- both of these options shall be valid for all intents and purposes, as part of the Constitution. Now, here's the kicker. Both of those are referring specifically to proposing amendments. Okay? And that's what they're, that, and, and it's written right there. It says that the Congress shall propose amendments to the Constitution or, upon the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments. So the Congress and the convention, after it's been called, are for proposing amendments to the Constitution. This does not mean in any way, shape, or form that the amendments are going to be ratified. Merely all this is is an action by Congress or by the states themselves proposing amendments to the Constitution. Now, how do we get the proposals ratified, and and how do we get the actual amendments taken care of? And I'm going to tell you, this part is very, very key here. Now, once the proposals, and this is the next section, when ratified by the legislature of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by Congress. And then we hit the semicolon, okay? So what does that last statement mean? Well, it basically means that if three-fourths of the states or conventions within within three-fourths of those states decide to ratify the proposed amendments to the Constitution. Then they become ratified and they become part of the Constitution. Okay? Now, this last part here that it's after the semicolon, it's basically outlining some things that um, requirements as far as the amendments are concerned. So the first one was that it couldn't be made prior to 1808, uh, and that um, any amendments shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses of the ninth section of the first article. And then, of course, it's that no state, zero of the states, without its consent, shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate, meaning that if the amendment itself tries to... um, tries to take away the equality of the Senate, then um, without its consent, without the state's consent, then the amendment, that amendment is null and void. That's pretty much what that last part means. So I'm not going to focus on that, that last part for the most part, 
But here's the thing. And now let me go through this again, because I kind of, I kind of covered it really quickly. So Congress, two thirds of the house two uh, of both houses, both the house of representatives and the Senate. If two thirds of both of those houses decide that there should be an amendment, then it proposes the amendment. They write it up. They get it all put, put out there. They send it out to the States. And if three-fourths of those states, whatever number of states there are, right now we have 50. So you're looking at 50, three-fourths comes out to like 37 and a half. So realistically, 38 of the 50 states have to agree to this amendment. Okay? So once that is ratified, then it becomes part of the Constitution. Now, as I stated in the, in the first part or just a little bit, a little while ago, this is how the, the Congress proposing the amendments is how the initial 27 were created. But there are several people who believe that Congress is not going to propose another amendment. And so therefore we must go to what's called a convention of States and the, and the idea, and this is a, a colloquialism because it's actually just a convention for proposing amendments according to the constitution here in article five. So, there are proponents that are out there that are saying that this is the way, this is the way forward to make it so that we uh, can rein in certain things. And there's several, um, several proposed amendments that are out there right now, such as the 28th Amendment. I've been caught by that one where it's been, hey, the 28th Amendment says that Congress shall pass no law uh that it can't follow or that it doesn't follow itself. Well, that technically doesn't exist. I mean, that doesn't exist in the constitution, which is part of the reason why they're able to get away with some of the things that they do. But that was, that's a proposal for an amendment to the constitution. Another proposed amendment happens to be something like a balanced budget. For an example, that, that Congress and uh, the government can't run unless it has a balanced budget. Um, another amendment would be just like what they did with uh, the president and limiting his terms, his or her terms of office. Um, there's a proposal out there to make an amendment that basically says that Congress can only serve potentially two terms or whatever, whatever the case may be. So, you know, on the on the, the outset, this appears to be the way forward to make things um, to, to make it so that we can correct some of the issues that we have within our, um, within our government and the way that our government is. And one of the big proponents of a convention of states is a gentleman by the name of Rob Nadelson, N-A-T-E-L-S-O-N. And I've put a bunch of his documents. He's written s some serious papers, articles. Um, he's submitted things to law review. He's, he's a big proponent of this. Okay, and this is what I'm about to show you next is an article that he wrote in the Epic Times, an, an opinion piece um, that was part of a, a five part series. It was the last essay. It was uh, uh, put out in um, January 25th at first and then updated in February 25th of 2021. And uh, he he basically talks about how. Um, how we've been trying for the last 80 years to um, preserve the values and the traditions that made our country great and that we've suffered one defeat after another. Um, that uh, even in the incremental successes as a part of the Reagan administration and the Trump administration have been wiped away like progressive, you know, because of the progressive tide. Okay. So his, his thing is that by using the convention of States as it's called, basically using article five of the constitution, that we're going to be able to do things that, um, that we can rein in Congress's, uh, essentially free fall right now when it comes to um, 
things dealing with the U.S. Constitution. And his, you know, his foundation for this is basically saying that if Congress can't do it themselves, then we should do it for them. Um, and he also talks about how in history this was done um, prior, you know, as, as a part of uh, and lessons learned from the original Constitution, which a lot of people don't know about, meaning the Articles of Confederation. In fact, it was a constitutional convention or a convention of states, per se, depending upon what label you want to use for it, that actually created the Constitution of the United States. So what had happened for an understanding was that the, of the, the colonies or of the states that were there, nine of them called for a, a convention of states or called for a convention. And at the convention... Um, James Madison, who thought that they should rewrite the Articles of Confederation, uh, got George Washington on board, and they actually went through and rewrote or wrote the Constitution as we know it today. Um, The Articles of Confederation had the opportunity for the states to come in and... um, Sorry, I'm looking at the chat real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address those, those questions in just a second. Um, but they, they essentially convened the convention and then essentially threw out the Articles of Confederation and created the U.S. Constitution. And so one of the, the things that opponents have with the idea of a convention of states is that a convention of states might come together and, in turn, rewrite the Constitution all over again. And granted, this is a bit of a danger. I mean, it's because, as you saw in the Fifth Amendment, or sorry, the Article 5 of the Constitution, as you saw there, um, there, there really isn't a lot of framework in terms of how this is done. So, before I get further into that, let me, let me just answer Buddy's question here. Buddy asks, does each amendment proposal need a separate procedure? Two-thirds, three-quarters. That's one of the things that, unfortunately, as of right now, is in debate. Um, honestly, Buddy, at this point, there isn't a lot of documentation. There isn't like a formal documented process to Article 5. And this is one of the things that a lot of people are afraid of is that what you'll get is what's called a runaway convention, meaning that the convention itself takes on its own meaning because there's, there's uh, scholars that have talked about, well, if a convention gets, gets brought together, do they have more power than the existing Congress? And if so, how does that work out? I mean, what kinds of things can they, can they um, do? And the, the, I think the key, honestly, is within Article 5, the whole point of the Constitu- Constitutional Convention, in this case, or Convening Convention, however you want to put it, if you read the, the Article 5, it is for just proposing amendments. That's all that was defined as a part of the, the, the Constitution as written. And again, we have to keep in mind, this is as written. Now, at this point in time, there's been several, that is, several things that are questionable uh, in terms of um, what Congress has been able to do. And honestly, as I pointed out in my, in my monologue in the beginning, uh, you know, the Tenth Amendment realistically should rein in a lot of the stuff that we're seeing today. Uh, Article 1, I believe it's Article 1, Section 8 should rein in a lot of the things that are happening today, like the Environmental Protection Agency and OSHA and these these unelected regulatory bodies from essentially passing down what would be considered laws. Now, some of these have been given power because Congress has given them the power. But as we've just seen from the, the Supreme Court, the latest Supreme Court decision, in terms of OSHA, for an example, OSHA was was not given the opportunity or was not given the power to dictate um, somebody's vaccine uh, vac- vaccination 
uh, status and to force a vaccination onto somebody in the name of safety. And so that's part of the reason, and that's actually the biggest reason as to why the OSHA mandates for vaccines were rescinded by the Supreme Court. And, the, the, you know, the key about this is, is we have to be very, very careful uh, in terms of what we do, in terms of things like this. Because, again, Article 5, the Constitutional Convention or the, the, the Convention of States, however you want to term it, the second ability to amend the Constitution has never been done before. And because of that, as far as it's never been done in terms of when the U.S. Constitution was first taken on. And so because of that, there is some there is a lot of open ended questions. And I've got some documents in the links. If you get a chance to run over to Rumble or to YouTube or, or one of those places, you can look at the, the description and there's a bunch of links in there for, for several documents who, uh, by several people who kind of outline a lot of this. But at the same time, the idea of having an alternative method, not so much from, the, from Congress having to push it, because let's face it, Congression, you know, Congress, especially this Congress here today, um, is very partisan. So if you look at things like uh, voting rights, voting bills, um, voter ID laws, it, the whole idea of taking over the, the voting requirements, which typically reside in the hands of the state legislatures, there was a lot of conversation about whether or not the voting rights and voting laws should be changed and make it more of a mandated federal kind of system. And it's, it's this kind of, of government overreach that a lot of people are afraid of. And they really want to have a way to rein some of that in. And it is possible that it could be done with a convention of states. However, again, because we don't have clearly defined rules and regulations and roles about how something like this you know, how and why and what can be done, it, it's kind of dangerous. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm not entirely sure that something like this really should take place. I'm, I'm in agreement in the fact that we need to rein back power, but I'm not entirely sure this is the way to do it. And a lot of those articles that I put out there, um, uh, it, that I put in the links, go through a lot of this. In fact, one of them... Um, so, again, this, this, uh, there have been a lot of uh, scholars, and I'm sorry, I lost it. Let me see, i got to get the right one here. Okay, so this article that I'm about to show you, this is actually by Rob Nadelson, again. Um, and it's from the Independence Institute, and it's Issue Backgrounder. And it talks about curing the federal dysfunction of... Uh, by constitutional amendment. And this is, this is one of his uh, publications that he put out. Um, so here's the, here's basically how, how it works. So the constitution in his mindset, and I lost my cursor here. Uh, there it is. So in his mindset, the constitution um, provides a means giving the citizens a means to rein in federal power. And it's through the convention for proposing amendments. Um, and we already know that, that the federal government, we have some, some issues. Um, we have, you know, well, we have a lot of issues. But um, the, the idea here is that uh, the ability of the people and the state legislatures to essentially add to the Constitution is in his mind the path forward to go ahead and put together the um, uh, the the amendments and be able to ratify them outside of the process deemed by Congress, and this is good. I mean, this is the, you know on the outset on the surface again, this is really good, but a lot of that is going to depend on how this is put together, and so his. As part of this article, he advocates that um, that essentially the founding generation, 
used Article 5 um, to adopt the 12 separate amendments, the Bill of Rights, the 11th and 12th. Uh, and then since that time, Americans have continued to address some problems with amendments. Um, and, and again, this is based off of the idea that the amendment is the way for us to go. But if we were to go and have, uh, um, have the amendments uh, proposed and ratified by the states, the idea is that the, the amendment would have to be written in such a way that it is specific to what's going on. Um, in this particular case, he's, he's basically talking about how the amendments uh, that they have to respect the rules prescribed by the Constitution. The proposed amendment has to be ratified by the legislature uh, or conventions in three-fourths of the states. Uh, we already talked about that, 38 of the 50. Um, but it must be duly proposed. So in his case, he's saying that the Constitution would be the part, or the convention would be the part of the proposing of the amendments. And in this case, he's right. Um, and then it, he's basically saying that the convention method was added as a check and balance um, to empower the people through the state legislature to correct federal dysfunctions that Congress might not address. As I said, certain things like term limits of Congress would be a big one. Um, he does kind of talk about how there has been, um, in his mind, there's been many conventions of states, and all of them had followed much of the same procedures. So he's trying to make an argument that Article 5 is relatively short. It doesn't provide a lot of uh it doesn't provide a lot of of ground rules in order to be able to uh perform this action. But he's saying that history has already provided us with many of these ground rules. And it's during the 1960s and you know all the way up into even into 1998 um, there were a lot of conversations about convening a convention for proposing amendments. Um, now, he talks about specifically in the 1960s, and I've included a couple of articles uh, with regards to this that he's written, that there was a concentrated effort to confuse people in terms of the meaning of the Constitution and Article 5 and especially dealing with, of course, the convention for proposing amendments. And he's basically saying that it was a concerted effort by um, not only specific people and educators, but also by uh, a couple of large name newspapers who talked about conventions being a, a bit of a problem and talking about what's called the runaway convention in, in, uh, in his mind. He's basically saying that there's, there's specific rules, there's a specific process, and this is how it's supposed to work. And a lot of people do agree with that. Um, at the same time, though, there is not enough from what I could find in terms of specifics, like written down in the rules. And as you can see in Article 5, there really isn't a whole heck of a lot there. So there's been some questions throughout history in regards to things like, um, what role does Congress play in this? And does the president have any role? Because essentially he or she signs off on, on, uh, laws. So why would he or she not sign off on proposed amendments to the constitution? And, you know, to be honest, there are some arguments that could be made to go ahead and do it. Um, however, there is a question and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try and find. So there was a, there was an article or there was a paper written. I believe this is it. Nope. This is not it. Let me find. Here we go. All right. So there was a paper written, um, back in 2016 by the Congressional Research Service. And I've put a link uh, to this in the description so you can go and check it out for yourself. 
And basically what the Congressional Research Service is, is it's a, it's an organization that goes and, and researches topics like this from a legal perspective. And so they, um, they kind of outlined a few things. This particular uh, document was updated March 29th of 2016. And essentially they ask a bunch of questions about things like what is, uh, let me find it here. So here we go. So um, first of all, you know, what are traditional, uh, traditional deterrence to an article five convention uh, factors contributing and then issues for Congress. One of them, it has to be the role of Congress in the Article Five Convention. Um, you know, how do we? Uh, is Congress a basically a clerk or a guardian of it? Um, you know, how how is the requirement for calling a convention? What sort of things? Uh, what sort of conventions does the Article Five authorize? And it goes through alternative convention models, general, limited, and runaway. Um, it also talks about like the role of Congress referring a Article Five convention amendment to the states. Um, there apparently were several uh, format procedure proposals in Congress from 1968 to 1992, and a lot of them changed and limited certain things, tried to define it, tried to outline what would be there. Um, and, and honestly, this paper kind of goes through a, a bunch of the questions in regards to, you know, what would, what, what would a convention look like? when it's being called for the proposal of amendments. And, um, you know, my guess is that the, and, and this is from a, from a layman's perspective, the purpose of the convention is to do one thing and one thing only, and that is propose amendments to the constitution. Additionally, my interpretation of a lot of this is that the amendment to the constitution, if you look at some of the amendments that have been proposed recently, they generally tend to address a specific item or a specific, um, I don't want to say group, but a specific list of items. If you look at the way the Constitution was written, you know, the First Amendment talks about uh, freedom of speech, press, religion, uh, and um, addressing the government for, for redress, uh, for, for um, uh, the ability to uh, petition the government to redress for issues. You know, a lot of that has to deal with and, and revolve around talking about speech, what people can say, what they can write, what, you know, what are they, are they allowed to um, assemble, peaceably assemble? If you think about that as a group of items, that all has to deal with um, arguing or speaking in public, getting your, your, your uh, thoughts out, doing things like what I'm doing here. I mean, that's really what that is. The Second Amendment talks about ownership of weapons. The reasons why we need to allow ownership of weapons. Um, the Fifth Amendment talks about what you can and cannot do in terms of incriminating yourself in front of a court. So, Every single amendment seems to have been written. If you look at the, the, the constitution as a whole, every single amendment has been written in some way, shape or form to address a specific need and a, a specific issue. So my guess is, is that the con and, and my best guess is that the convention would be formulated in such a way or should be formulated in such a way that a specific issue would be addressed, meaning that you couldn't essentially go into a convention to propose an amendment and say, 
Okay, I want to propose amendment, you know, 28 as um, we need to have a balanced budget. And then I want to propose 29 as being this, you know, whatever this is, term limits. Um, I, I would imagine that they, that realistically, the idea behind it was to basically say, hey, we're just going to address amendments that are addressing specific items. Now, the gray area comes into play in terms of, can they address more than one or can they only address one? And so these are some of the questions that are out there in terms of whether or not this convention of states is going to be effective to be able to propose additional amendments to the constitution. And I would think that, that there might be some leeway there. There, there definitely is some gray area in terms of, of how much, can the convention um, do now Congress's role in all of this based on article five essentially states that they are only to call the convention and perhaps provide some of that framework for the delegates when they come uh, to be a part of the convention outside of that there, there are some people that say that all they do is they just they they provide the framework and they stand by to help these people who come here for the convention because assumably assumed assumedly these people would not be lawyers they would be from the people they wouldn't be politicians so they wouldn't necessarily have all of the legalese to be able to um, create these in a clear and concise manner. And so it, in a proper form, let's say. And so realistically, Congress might act as more of a coach or a mentor to the convention more than anything else. And that's what some people believe is Congress's role. Other people, though, think that maybe because Congress's role hasn't really been clearly defined other than, of course, calling the convention, uh, it hasn't been clearly defined, and therefore Congress, who, especially those who may not follow the Constitution, might push to say, hey, Congress is going to actually have more of an influence on this than what the framers might have intended. And so this is part of the reason why there's such a debate in terms of the Convention of States. The last piece is, of course, that whether or not the Convention of States actually becomes a runaway convention and we end up with a whole nother constitution afterward. Um, I think actually that that honestly might be uh, when you look at the context of Article 5 and it basically states that whatever is presented after the convention has to be ratified by the states. Um, I think that that clearly is showing that it, you know, you would need three quarters of the states to agree that, hey, we're going to rewrite the entire Constitution. And I think that's part of the reason why the founders actually put that in there, because they were under the belief that you would not be able to get three quarters of the states to actually allow the rewrite of the Constitution. One thing that I did find that was kind of surprising not really, but it, I mean, it, it was to me, was this, um, and let me, uh, let me find it here because I think I, I did, but where is it? That's uh, here it is. Okay. So there was a group of individuals who got together some of what they called the finest legal minds gathered at the Jefferson hotel in Washington, D.C., and they set out to consider um, the arguments for and against the use of Article 5 to restrain federal power. Um, they essentially all put together, and, and here's some of the notables from this, and I'll actually, let me go ahead and pull this up. Let me show you. So these are some of the signers of this document that they created. And uh, essentially here we've got uh, Mark Levin, who was an original signer of this, what they call the Jefferson Statement. 
got Michael P. Ferris. He is a, a person of interest with this. Um, we have, uh, I don't know of any of these others. I don't know these other names, but Mark Levin caught my eye. And basically what these, what these gentlemen did, and here's some of their statements. You can, again, this is a link, you can download it, but um, this is some of their, their, what you would call, I guess their bona fides, I suppose. Um, some of their backgrounds and, and everything else with regards to the convention of States, they basically put together and there's, there's Mark Levin. Um, they basically put together this Jefferson, what they call the Jefferson statement. And let me read you what this says. The convention of States mechanism is safe and it is the only constitutionally effective means available to do what is so essential for our nation. The constitution's framers foresaw a day when the federal government would exceed and abuse its enumerated powers, thus placing our liberty at risk. George Mason was instrumental in fashioning a mechanism by which we, the people could defend our freedom. The ultimate check on federal power contained in Article 5 of the Constitution. Article 5 provides the states with the opportunity to propose constitutional amendments through a process called a Convention of States. This process is controlled by the states from beginning to end on all substantive manners. Matters, sorry. The convention of a convention of states is convened when 34 state legislatures pass resolutions or applications on the agreed topic or set of topics. Now that's interesting that they call that out. So essentially the, what they're saying on this is that the constitution of states or sorry, the convention of states must be called when 34 state legislatures, again, that's the two thirds rule. Um, pass resolutions, which are applications, on, and this is key, an agreed topic or set of topics. And then they state that the convention is limited to considering amendments on these specified topics. And this is, this is where I was saying one avenue is that this is basically focused. It's a focused convention, not a, a, widespread setup. Now, they continue. While some have expressed fears that a convention of states might be misused or improperly controlled by Congress, it is our considered judgment that the checks and balances in the Constitution are more than sufficient to ensure the integrity of the process. The convention of states mechanism is safe, and it is the only constitutionally effective means available to do what is so essential for essential for our nation fear uh, restoring robust federalism with genuine checks on power on the power of the federal government. We share the founders conviction that proper decision-making structures are essential to preserve Liberty. We believe that the problems facing our nation require several structural limitations on the exercise of federal power. While fiscal restraints are essential we believe the most effective course is to pursue reasonable limitations fully in line with the vision of our founders on the federal government. And then they sign it. Now it's interesting that they toss that out there. So that basically what these people are essentially saying is that the convention of States has to be, um, and I'm going to bring this back up, but has to be applied for by the states, it has to be, um, it has to be agree on an agreed topic or set of topics, and this is part of where we were talking about uh, where I was saying that the the convention and and the applications have to be properly formatted to Congress in order for Congress to then trigger and call the convention. Okay. So, you know, this is one side of the whole coin. And again, there is that potential fear. There is that potential, um, uh, you know, opening of Pandora's box as, as buddy had kind of mentioned that, um, if, if the convention of States 
goes outside of what they're specified to do by the calling for the states um, to do this, then, you know, it, it very well could be dangerous. It very well could be a position where we might end up with a just a complete mess. But I believe that if the states and 17, as far as I know, uh, at this point, 17 of the states, half of what is necessary to petition um, the federal government, uh, Congress in particular, to call a convention, have already passed resolutions to call for a convention of states. Now, the other interesting part about this is the ratification process. So once the once the convention is called, excuse me for just a second. So once the convention has been called, then we have the proposal of the amendments, and then we have the ratification of the amendments. Now, you'll notice that in Article 5, it didn't really talk about how long it takes it would take the states to ratify the amendments. Um, but... What we end up with is Congress actually, in, in past history here, in recent history, I should say, has put a, a um, limit of seven years on how long it takes for the states to actually ratify an amendment to the Constitution. And that, honestly, that's part of their congressional, I mean, that's part of their constitutional right. They can basically put the limits on how long it takes for an amendment to be ratified. And they've said seven years, which, you know, is probably not too bad. Um, But at the same time, I also want to point out that the Convention of States, because it's a little loosey-goosey, we are essentially um, depending upon the integrity of humans, of man, to work within a certain set of boundaries. And in case you haven't noticed, especially with this administration, the integrity of man, especially today's men, is being called into question on almost everything that we have out here. So, do I think a convention of states could work? Yes. However, that is all dependent upon the integrity and the ethics and morals and values of the people who are there and on the opposite side, the morals, values, and ethics of our Congress to properly apply rules and regulations in terms of what can be placed or what can be put out there and voted on. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure that either the people going, I would assume that they would have in their mindset that they would have the wherewithal to limit themselves because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, However, I don't trust at all that Congress wouldn't try to stick its nose in. So to be completely honest, do I think a convention of states is a viable option? I think it is an option. I don't think it is the option. From my perspective and in my opinion, my viewpoint, while it does present an intriguing opportunity to do something that Congress can't do, I do believe that the actual best way for us to move forward from this, the safest way for us to move forward with this, is to do two things. One, Make sure that we vote for people who not only understand the Constitution, but also have the character and the ability to uphold that Constitution. And that means that you have to get to know your representatives, that you have to get involved with these people and really understand where they are coming from and what intent they have for this country. The second thing, I think we need to start holding these people accountable, not just at the ballot box, but also holding them accountable 
in the court system against things like the Tenth Amendment. I feel that the Tenth Amendment is actually a very powerful tool when used properly by the people of the United States to be able to take these people to task and to go realistically all the way to the Supreme Court. And ideally, the Supreme Court will uphold anything that is challenged as a part of the Tenth Amendment. I think the Tenth Amendment is not used as often as it should be. And realistically, I think that what we need is grassroots efforts from people involved, not only from the the voters, but also people to run for Congress who will hopefully maintain their ethics, maintain their integrity as they go off and they they go to uh, their government positions with the idea that, number one, this is not a career for them, and number two, that they are in public service. And unfortunately, politics is such, and, and honestly, we need good people to do this. You know, I mean, the problem that I have with running for, for any kind of political office nowadays is because of all the mudslinging. But the reality is we need these people. We need these people to stand up, and we need good Americans to stand up for them. When things are, start, you know, when, when, when the, their opponents start slinging mud, we need to start calling those people out and holding them accountable for the things that they do. And we need to start focusing on making sure that our representatives who go off to government office will uphold their oath, their commitment to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's what they are there for. That's what they are there to do. They are not to go there for, um, you know, the kickbacks and to make all the kinds of money and everything else. Unfortunately, I'm not entirely sure if we're going to be able to find enough people to be able to do that. So a convention of states, however dangerous it might be, may be the only way to rein in the federal government. And that's my final Whiskey Musings thought of the evening. Do me a favor. If this is your first visit, go ahead and check out some of my other um, videos and check out the content that I put out. And if you find it enlightening, entertaining, and informative, then please subscribe. I appreciate it. I appreciate all my subscribers. And, uh, you know, I haven't pushed this for a while, but I do actually have a, a Whiskey Musings logo store. It's at store.whiskeymusings.com. Dot online, And you can go in there, you can check out, I've got t-shirts, I've got sweatshirts with my, my you know, the logo that I have on the beginning with the mic and the, the drink in the back. You can check all of those out at the store.whiskeymusings.online. Um, I've got mugs and, and t-shirts, pants, sweatpants, things like that. Take a look. Support the show by getting yourself a gift. Now, I will tell you that it does take four to six weeks because they are a made-to-order process. And given our supply chain problems, there might be some issues there. But that being said, check it out. If you want to get something, go for it. I have it on great authority that the Gators are actually pretty good. That pretty much wraps it up for the evening. So we'll see you next time on the Whiskey Musings broadcast. And hey, by the way, check out tonight's show on true grit roots network i've got a an entire two hours dedicated to whiskey and the music that talks about it we'll see you next time on the whiskey musings broadcast good night everybody and i hope you have a great weekend we'll see you all next time